welcome back to another amazing episode of Dragons and Demons Podcast, the podcast about real motivation. So we are back with another great episode. Again, we're kind of laying the foundation here for how to get started on your journey, how to prepare to break these these goals down, how to accomplish your dreams, and me explaining how my journey has, has got it here. So I'm headed on a journey talking about discovering what motivates me, what motivates other people, and how to take those lessons and take that information and deliver it to people who could use it the most. With the idea of if I could take some of this information and some of these things that I'm learning and some of these cases from other people and bring them to someone like myself at my lowest point or my father at his sickest moment and just allow them or myself a, a little boost kicking the pants, a push in the right direction, whatever it takes. So we are back. In first episode one, we talked about why I'm here. Episode two, we talked about the, the physical aspects on how to prepare your body to get where you need to be. Episode three, we talked about relationships and, and how those relationships are, are they're so important to springboard you into having uh, a bulletproof mentality, a, a, a lack of fear, a, a push of confidence when you walk out that door, a comfortability when you return home. So here we are in part four. Part four is going to be about the mental portion of it, preparing to slay your dragon. So the mental portion of how to kind of set your game face in order, how to prepare yourself mentally, the different aspects of things that I've competed in and what it took to get there. And again, if you can use some of these tools moving forward and what your goals are, I'm all about it. <clears throat> so let's begin. So the first thing I wanted to discuss was the defeatist mentality. So the defeatist mentality is something that I've discovered as a coach taking over for a, a weaker football program. And the mentality I'm describing is when you have a, a group or a, a person or really just a, a common community that looks at some of the goals as if they're too lofty and, and some of the purpose that you are out to do, other people look at it like, yeah, well, we're never going to get there. I, I can't tell you how many times, how many things I wanted to change when I first came in as a coach and people were like, yeah, we tried that before. It didn't work. So you shouldn't try it again. You're wasting your time. Or how many kids in front of me were like, well, what's the point? We're not going to win. I, one of the most disturbing things that happened to me as a coach when I we were facing a, a huge opponent, one that I've defeated once in my career, and they beat me handedly most of the other times. And I remember that first time we played them, and I'm coming from a 6A football program that – Went ten and two my the the last two years of my high school career, and we went deep into the playoffs. And I'm sitting in front of this group of kids who, at the time, are probably two and five, two and four, and and really down on our luck. And I was curious because all the rumors and all the things I had heard about the program we were about to play, and I, and I told them all to close their eyes, put their head down, and I said, "Raise your hand if you think we have a chance against this team." Of 45 kids, maybe one or two actually raised their hand. And what disappointed me the most was there was this captain of the team, and I'm not going to say his name, a captain of the football team who had worked his butt off to get where he was, been a, a three-year player in that program, and he was one that didn't raise his hand. And he was sitting right in front of me, and, and it really it hurt. So you put all this time and this effort and this energy into it, and you don't think we have a chance it's, it's sad. So it's a mentality of like, we don't, we don't stand a chance. There's no reason. There's no rhyme or reason. There's no purpose. There's no, there's no passion. There's no energy. We're just kind of going through the motions. So defeatist mentality to me. And, and I don't know if that's a real word or not, but it's something that I've always kind of discussed to my, my teams. So that defeatist mentality is one that you just can't, for the life of me, I was never able to overcome. It's one that was always something that, like when we faced larger opponents and people that were really better than us, that, that was when it was a, a bigger struggle. And it, and it started going away when kids started to believe more in, in me as a coach and the program and the things we were doing. 
And everyone always said things like, well, work on smaller goals. You, you can't win them all. But if you can just break it down to be like, well, maybe this game we get two first downs. And things like that, those kids saw right through. And they were like, don't give me these baby treatment. Like, we know we're going to get our butts kicked. So really what changed for us was we, we found the right level of goals and we found the right level of, we also were able to tweak our schedule and align things better for us. So that was a blessing. Uh, really, you just kind of have to beat that mindset out of them by using things like the weight room and the off-season program and, and building that trust from, look at all the work we've put in, look at all the time we've developed, look at all the work we've done together. And eventually it come around and you find those kids that you can believe in, those kids you can rely on to help you run the program. And that really helped us destroy that mentality. So that was one of the demons we had to get rid of. In, in personal things, I, I've never been a huge believer in the defeatist mentality. I've never been a really, I've never really been a product of it. I mean, there are times when you like get under a bar on a big bench and you're like, oh, I'm just not feeling it today. All right, get out, walk out, you're done. You're, you're not going to get it today. And I say that to kids before. Well, let me let me get under this and give it a shot. I don't know if I'm going to get it. And I stop them, like, then don't bother. And they, like, pause. They're like, why? Because if you walk into it with a mentality of, oh, I probably won't get this, and I don't know if they're just saying that to me to make themselves feel better, but if they're walking into it with a mentality of, oh, I'm probably not going to get it, then you probably won't get it. And there was that old saying, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're probably right. And that's the case right there. If you have any doubt, then there's a chance you might not get it. So cut out that defeatist mentality, get over it, move on, address that first, build that confidence by working your butt off behind the scenes and it'll go away. So the next part I want to discuss, and again, some of you might be able to adapt this to your lifestyle, take some tips of this in your fitness journey or something along those lines. So I want to talk a little bit about the, the bodybuilding approach and the mental aspects of bodybuilding. So in bodybuilding, the thing I wanted to talk about was the mind-muscle connection, which is defined as the ability to focus tension in a specific muscle or region to make it deliberately contract. So this is like if you're doing a bicep curl, really like trying to focus your emphasis on feeling, truly feeling that muscle squeeze, contract, and stretch and feel it like, feel it move and focus your energy and, and tuning everything else out. And my wife asked me before, like, do you need music to get through a workout? No, things like focusing on that and, and taking the really little small chunks and focusing on the movement. If it's, if it's a bench press focus movement or a squat or a deadlift and powerlifting, or it's just a body part, or it's just a, a, a 10 minute walk or a jog or if whatever that thing is, just focusing on the mechanics, the basic, basic mechanics of it. And you can really tune out a lot of things. If, if there's stressors in your life, if there's um, frustrating things going on, if I can just shut it, all that mental brain energy down and focus on the little contraction in a bicep curl or a tricep extension or a shrug, if I can just focus just on that muscle group and kind of block out everything else. I can lift with the lights off. I can lift with no music. I could lift in 150 degree weather or 30 degree weather. It doesn't matter because I'm focused on that one little muscle grouping and really squeezing it. So the tips in the mind muscle connection and bodybuilding, they really focus on slow controlled movements with lighter weight. So you see a lot of bodybuilders and, and they'll be doing like super heavy weights for flashy stuff on the internet. But then you see that one bodybuilder that's doing really concentrated work because, again, they're blocking out all of the noise, they're blocking out all of the distractions, and they're really focusing on just that tiny little muscle group squeezing. Um, I, I, Jay Cutler was one that was, to me, he always stood out because he would back in his day, it was Jay Cutler versus Ronnie Coleman. Ronnie Coleman was this monster who was benching 500, squatting 800, deadlifting 800, leg pressing 1950 or 2200. And he always had these monster movements. Meanwhile, Jay Cutler, who was always neck and neck with him or just behind him in all the bodybuilding stages, he was the guy benching like 225 on a guided bar. And granted, he could do way more than that. But like his focused and squeezed rep really made a change in his muscular development. 
So that was something that always impressed me. Obviously, Ronnie's the king, but there was something to be said about using lower weights, focusing, squeezing, and really deliberately thinking about that mind-muscle connection. And this can go beyond bodybuilding, but if you are, I mean, I was a woodworking teacher for a long time. And if I can, again, there was times when I would block out certain things, certain distractions around me. I had to just focus on the machine saw on that block of wood, what I was cutting and block everything else out, whether it was for accuracy of the cut, quality of the cut, or just safety, blocking everything out and focusing on that one channeled item. And, and granted, there are a million things that are buzzing around your world, especially if you're a busier person or a stressed out person. If you can just lock in and focus on that one tiny little thing for a short period of time, imagine the quality of work you're going to produce in every single thing in your world. So when I, when I do write an episode for a podcast, most of these I write at wrestling practice when my kid's wrestling. So I am in a hallway with a couple other adults who are talking to each other, but not always engaged with me. We're in a hallway. I'm sitting in a chair, I have my notebook, a pen, and that's pretty much it. I don't have music in because I don't get good service there. There's no, I'm not in the wrestling room, so I don't see any of that. I'm just sitting with a notebook and my thoughts and I'm writing things out. And I'm scribbling, I'm changing, I'm ripping papers out, I'm, I'm starting over. It's me focusing on one thing. And if you really want that quality of work, when I write nutrition plans for people, I'm usually sitting in a room with no TV, no phone. When I write lifting programs, I, I might have another one open just as a reference where I can kind of look at other things that I've tried. But again, it's just me and that piece of paper. I'm not thinking about everything else. And that's something I've always been really good at. And that's something that anxiety wise, I don't carry a lot of stress. I don't carry a lot of anxiety just because I'm able to like compartmentalize and really focus on that one thing. I wish I had the secret, but again, it, it kind of to me points back to bodybuilding and that mind muscle connection and just focusing and squeezing and putting all of your energy into that one little thing i don't know where it stems from i've always been able to do it maybe it goes back to some of my football training days or maybe it was just me playing with legos as a kid where i blocked everything else out and focused on the lego um i i, I don't have that answer but that aspect of the uh bodybuilding approach of the mind muscle connection where you are just focusing everything you have into one little thing blocking everything else out it's it's therapeutic it's a re-energizing it and it the quality of what you're getting out of it is just amazing so if you can find what your mind muscle connection is whether it's in bodybuilding building legos coloring those adult coloring books or writing or whatever that is if you can dedicate time to that, that's therapeutic. And that's one thing that I've always gone back to lifting was always chasing that pump, always chasing that connection, and that always made me feel better. So if you can sharpen your brain and ther and provide your brain those therapeutic aspects of something like that, highly recommend. Forty-five days. Forty-five day challenge for those of you who are looking for some change in your life. If you're looking for a diet trend, and, and a lot of people say diet should be a lifestyle change. It should not be a, a diet. It shouldn't be temporary. I don't believe in that. I think it should be temporary because if you really want to make change in your life, it's going to suck, and you're going to have to do something drastic. And 45 days, while it may not be forever, it's, it's short-term, but it's also a time frame where you're going to see a lot of results. My wife and I are doing a 45-day challenge. You'll see it on social media. I'm about 17 days in right now, feeling really good, happy with the progress. She's at the same date. We've, we've hit our, all of our marks, and, and there's an opportunity. If you can't be perfect, you can buy it back. This is all based on resolution stuff. So New Year's resolution, New Year, New Me, and, and here's a way to do it. Pick a time frame, 30 days, 45 days, and be perfect. Perfect is the best way you see results without giving yourself that cheat that will throw you completely off track. 45 days, be perfect. Buy it back. If you make a mistake, do a 10-minute walk or something and buy it back. And I promise you'll be happy with the results. Follow along on my social media at CoachB underscore knows, and you'll see what results we're putting together. I hope you join up.
The mental approach to powerlifting is another one that I really wanted to focus on. So this is when you're trying to provide maximum effort and you're trying to give everything you have in, into your goal. So I referred to this on another podcast as my dark place. So when you are, you've trained, you've, you've gone through all the form reps, you've gone through all the focus reps, you've gone through all the training, the practice runs, the, the mock meets, all of those things, and you've practiced every which way to where at this point, now we're just headed to a place where it's just going to take everything you have, everything you have to produce the most amount of work that you can. And my example here in powerlifting is based around maximum effort at meet day where you are, it's go time. You have put in all this work, you've trained for 12 or 14 weeks or whatever your your years for me. And now it's you and the bar and the judges. And it's time for you to show every ounce of strength that you have. And for me, it was, I did a powerlifting meet couple years ago where I maxed out at 479 in the lower weight classes. I was just getting acclimated, just really getting started on the powerlifting scene. And then a couple summers ago, started 510. I did 530. Then I did 570. And then I tried 580. Those are my bench press numbers in the meet. Now I did bench only because I had an adductor injury and I couldn't train the squat and the deadlift the way I wanted to. So I couldn't do those. But bench only day my dark place. My wife asked me once, where do I go when I'm under that? And some people can get under that and, and knock it out and be happy and cheery and, and others. It's not that way. Uh, Eddie Hall is a strongman competitor. He's done powerlifting. He's done a little bit of everything. He's even doing some MMA now. He talks about his dark place and some of the places where his mind goes. And he went and talked to like psychotherapists and psychologists and really trained himself to go to those really dark places. I didn't do all that training, but I can really bring up some some dark things and, and really lock my brain into worst case scenario sort of deal and go to a very dark place, which I would really like to keep personal, not share with too many people. But let me get into it a little bit. So what comes to mind is those um, videos when like there's a, a kid trapped under a car and a mom has a superhuman moment where she freaks out and she pulls the kid up off the car and they have like this, this for lack of a better term, these like hulking type of moments where they're able to do superhuman feats just because of everything else was shut out. This was a last case scenario. I have nothing left. And you see it on the news from time to time. There's been specials done on it, but like that, is the mode we want to get to. <clears throat> and clearly when you're at a powerlifting meet, you're not really in that, that energy. There's no one's life at risk. There's no immediate danger that you need to really turn it on and, and be able to do that. at. So you, you kind of need to imagine that, but it's really hard to do. There's also like um, the, the memory feedback loop that you can kind of get into. And, and I did some of this in high school, playing high school football and mentally preparing myself for. So there's pregame speeches and, and different things to get you fired up. And I've done some of that and talked about it. And I was never the great speech giver when it came to football things because I was the one where if you just yelled, I'd probably get fired up and get ready to play a football game. But <laughs> I would always watch like horror movies before football games and, and imagine those, those really dark things happening. And, and I would just be all right, that's not going to happen to me, and, and let me take that to the field and let me attack the, my opponent as if they're the, the bad guy in the film. So taking some of that and then putting myself under the bar. So on meet day, and, and I've, again, I've done a couple mock meets or some heavy max out days, so I've kind of gone to the same place, but on meet day, it was different. So meet day was interesting. So on a powerlifting meet, it's squat bench and deadlift in that order typically and when i get there i'm everyone's squatting and i get there and i check in I, for this last meet i weighed in i didn't have to cut weight i was really trying to gain weight so i, I weighed in felt good I, I got there as late as i possibly could some people do weigh-ins the day before just because they want that window in order to try and pack on some of the weight and gain some of that calorie back the calories that they they lost and trying to cut down for it 
but I just went about my business. I, I went in there late because I wasn't worried about making any certain weight. And then, I, again, I was in it for the long haul. So while everyone else is back there with a team and they're, they're pumping each other up and everyone's got the different nerves going and they're all excited and, and animated in many different ways, you're the back room where it's like the warm-up station. It's the hangout. I just pulled a chair up to the side. I sit down. Got my headphones in. I got my phone. I'm chilling. I'm on my phone watching videos, texting people, whatever. I got my phone, and my go-to song was um, actually for both my powerlifting meets. And for powerlifting meets, there's a lot of different things. You got nerves. You got pre-workout with stimulant in there that that really jumbles up your stomach. Uh, some people are taking some other things to kind of counter that, so they're not going to the bathroom every five minutes. You have the excitement of the meet. You're going out to watch people. You're listening to all the people get fired up. <clears throat> But again, it, it's all about keeping calm until that last minute where you fire everything. So I would sit there and listen to Nina Simone feeling good on loop with a bunch of other songs that were just like calm, cool songs that I could just keep my nerves down. I would have a friend with me to crack jokes with or my brother or somebody just to keep everything calm and chilled out. And then as warm-up time would come, it would still stay the same and everything would stay calm and even keeled. My pre-workout would be in my system. I would be getting like, I could feel my, my muscle fibers start to go. I could feel the caffeine. I could feel the beta alanine. I could feel these things kind of kicking in. But again, it's all about just keeping everything calm and even keeled and slow. And then when it came time to, all right, the funny thing is about that powerlifting meet when my opener was 5'10". So everyone's kind of looking out the room like, man, who's this 5'10"? Like I could hear them say as I read through the meat chart, like 5'10", who's that guy? And I'm like sitting right behind them. But again, I'm just even keeled, cool. Like I might have looked like I was on Quaaludes or something because I was just vibing. Um, but again, it was just all about keeping the peace and keeping everything quiet. And then when it was go time, like it went through the whole warm up. Then when it was go time, it was like, all right, I got about five minutes um, coming up that's when you turn on the the banger music the songs that are your go-to songs and that's when you start to picture yourself in these for me personally i was picturing myself in the worst possible case scenario something that i would never want never be able to imagine outside of that to the point where i'm either gonna haul off and fight somebody go into tears or i'm gonna go hit this number in this powerlifting meet so I, I have this music, I have these thoughts, and my eyes are closed, I'm in a very dark place, and then what kind of snaps me out of it is you hit the smelling salts, you get smacked on the back as hard as they can by my brother or somebody, and then I'm walking out there. And when you walk out there, it's me, whatever situation I created in my head, in the bar. And, and it's kind of similar to the Michael Jordan thing, where he apparently went to this restaurant, saw an opposing coach, and created this dialogue in his head that never happened, where he was like, that coach said that, all right, I'm going to make you eat your words. And the same thing on Waterboy and some of these other movies that come out. So you're creating this scenario in your head that never has happened, probably will never happen. But now it's like, that's real. And me and this bar are about to settle it. So I hit my 510 pretty easy, go back to the back. And again, people are dapping you up. Oh, you're the 510 guy, smacking you on the back. Good job, chatting you up. And then I go back to my music. It's probably another 15, 20 minutes before I'm back up again. I put on my Nina Simone, trying to calm it down, trying to get my heart rate down, catch my breath, resolve everything, bring everything back down. All right, here I come. Time to bring it back up, turn on my music, get fired up again, close my eyes, put myself in that place, smacked on the back, fired up, get under the bar, do my lift. And you do that same thing three times. And it's amazing to see the response your body goes to. When you put yourself through such extremes, in that world, it's it's really, it's astounding. So that point, and that transitions me to my next point. So that point of complete physical exhaustion really shows, and, and even your CNS, your central nervous system, starts to, to have some adverse effects there. So I wanted to point up, So when you are putting yourself to the point of 100% or 99% complete exhaustive failure and you have put yourself in this emotionally draining and dark place, it, it is, 
it's almost catastrophic. Like I, I almost had flu-like sim- the symptoms coming off of that platform. You just your your body begins to respond in a in a very unique way. So after that meet, I felt like my blood pressure was elevated for like the next two days. Like you could see it in some of the pictures afterwards, and my, my face was blood red for like twenty four hours. And, and my hands hurt and it wasn't so much from the bar. Like it was from squeezing and all the tension. My hands felt like they were shaking for like two days afterwards and it's an upper body lift, but like my spine was like it, it, my spine was sore. Like I've never had that feeling in any other world, but like just things that like you could tell it was, it might not have been everything I had because I think there was something in the tank. Maybe. But man, that just that feeling when you're, and and you also see it in powerlifting, right? When you're, when you're performing these high numbers and like when you're, so in training for that 570 bench, I was lifting reps of like 450 plus or 500 plus in, in reps and series of sets and reps for two days a week for 12 weeks. And again, you have to do a deload week, but in that time frame, just like the complete soreness from head to toe, just from doing bench work is insane. And to feel your central nervous system respond that way is amazing that the human body can go to these extreme levels and, and the complete exhaustion there. So I, I did, if you're not counting my warm up reps, I did four reps of bench press and I felt like I was in a train wreck. And for three or four days, I felt completely exhausted. And I didn't do a full meet. Again, some people are doing three squats, three deadlifts, and three benches. And if they get the opportunity to do a state record and get a fourth and all their warm-up reps, it's it's amazing to feel that point of complete exhaustion. So if you can get yourself, I don't even know how to translate this for anything outside of powerlifting, but that um, mental effort and, and the research it takes and the things that go into just doing that one thing, it's truly outstanding. Um, if you can lock your brain into focusing and channeling all that energy into one spot for one event, nothing's going to stop you. Now, the next part I want to bring up is mentally, the mental approach to self-education or the mental approach to self regulation, self-improvement. So one thing that I like to do with this is take what your flaws are and turn it into your obsession. So all through high school, just like every other kid in my area, in my program, and, and a lot of high school boys, my focus in lifting was bench press. How do I become the strongest bench presser ever? And I had a, a lofty goal of trying to beat my brother. My brother did 405 as a senior in high school. I wanted to accomplish that. Now, graduation, we were probably like 50 pounds apart, maybe more, where he was heavier than me. He did 405 as a senior in high school. I did 385. So I didn't quite get there, but I tried. But that was my goal. Was I obsessed over bench press. When I wasn't in school, I talked about bench press. When I, uh, when I had downtime, I did everything I can trying to improve my bench press. I, t- I watched videos. I read books. I did what I could. obviously I could have done a whole lot more knowing what I know now, but that's beside the point. When, when I got to college was really when this, the self-improvement idea kind of came to mind. So I'm in college and I'm a college football player and I'm one of the strongest kids in the program and kind of all around, but mainly in the bench. But when it came from bench press to go to power clean and squat, two areas that I was weaker in, and I saw these other people who were in my lifting group for bench are now in the top lifting group in these other lifts, and I'm in one of the bottom ones. I was like, this is this is absurd. Why, why can't I balance out my numbers? So then I started to, like, you know what? Why don't I take one of these flaws and turn it into a focal point and spend all of my time and energy and focusing on that? So I took the power clean. And I broke it down into each of its small components. And I studied it. I read books. I'm reading the, the, the Russian training books from 1960s to all the way up to current trends in, in Olympic powerlifting. 
And then when it came to squat, I, I emphasized and put all my energy on. Let me try and improve that. And I'm training that two or three days a week. Then I stopped playing college football. The power clean thing kind of went away because it wasn't really a, a, a common practice. And especially at the gym I was training at, it, it wouldn't have worked out. So then I obsessed over squat. Everything I wanted to do was around squat. I wanted to work on my hips and my glutes and my calves and everything to improve my squat. My bench was still solid, but I wanted to just focus and make my squat the best lift possible. And what I noticed then was my obsession turned into like I enjoyed it. So my obsession in squat turned into an enjoyment of squat, which turned into a huge improvement in squat. So I was that kid in high school who was a almost a 400-pound bencher, but I could barely get there in a squat. And I was not there in a deadlift. So my numbers were significantly lower than they should have been. So my obsession turned into my passion, turned into enjoyment, which turned into progress. And then I became a pretty darn good squatter. And I was hitting depth and I was training these all these different variations. And I'm, again, reading books and talking to people and studying people and um, training with different people to try and get different aspects. And I'm trying different patterns out in your footwork. And I'm trying different placement of my feet, trying to my knees in different directions and training in a different way just to try and improve that every single day. And I got to the point where I think I squatted like 675. I couldn't even tell you because we didn't have many video cameras back then. But I mean, I had some pretty high numbers in, in a small gym where I was, I didn't have anybody else. It was me training by myself. And then the next cycle was, all right, let me improve my deadlift. And I became obsessed with the deadlift. And by this time, I'm in, I'm working and I'm out of there. And I had some, some knee injuries and my adductor injury and some different things set me back. But then I got into small law of Russian volume training, which was an insane thing to do for deadlift. My hands had holes in them because of training for that. But you're talking heavy, 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 heavy lifts three days a week for high volume, high reps. It, it was extremely painful i would not recommend it for deadlift but it's actually designed for squat and i've seen a lot of people have success with it in bench press so again making the deadlift my obsession and making it my enjoyment and fulfilling that need of that bulk time while also still not leaving my squat behind not leaving my bench behind and my numbers got pretty high there where that translates in the rest of my life so again i came out of high school was obsessed with football, knew I wanted to somehow get back and, and coach and, and get involved with mentoring young men and didn't really know what I wanted to be. So here's my, my different outlets, my different channels. So as I'm trying to discover what my major is, all right, I'm going to go in undecided just like everybody else and we'll figure it out. All right, well, let me go business because my brother said it's easy and I've heard a lot of people do it. So let me try that. I took a couple of classes and like, all right, let me try, let me try getting into teaching. So what's the easiest route? All right, let me try history. I know a lot of people do that. Took a class or two and was like, this is miserable. You know what? In high school, I was good at math. Let me try math. And I got down the road there and I was like, ah, I just couldn't see myself teaching math. Took one woodshop class and was like, this is awesome. This might be my path. So I go down that path. I'm headed down that road and I get pretty high into some higher level classes. And I had a college professor who said, to me after a presentation where I bombed. I was I am not a good public speaker. And I bombed and and he pulls me aside after class and he's like maybe you should reconsider a different major. You 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 might not be cut out for teaching. Okay. Got you, sir. Doctor, and I'm not going to blow you up here even though I'm sure he hasn't been on social media since ever. Got you. But here we go. Now that became my obsession. Public speaking became my obsession. Teaching became my obsession. How can I turn this displeasure, this worst conversation I've ever had into in your face? I got it. I'm going to be the best that I can be now. And I did. I, I busted my butt. Maybe he didn't like my presentations. He always kind of talked down on me, but I found my way through it. And when I, I graduated from there, I got a teaching job right away. I was one of the first five or six people in my class to get a job. That first year I got I'm sorry, that second year out of that, I got new teacher of the year in my department. And I went back to that college. And I had to present in front of the graduating class of that year. And I got to share with them all of my experiences, got to share with them my award, and got to say to that teacher. And there was a teacher in this school, there was a professor at this school 
who did not believe in me, who's the reason why I'm here is because I wanted to turn this hater into my motivator. And again, I took that, that fact that someone was like, you can't do this. And I made it my obsession. Same thing with football. I had people all along that told me this wasn't worth it. I turned it into my obsession. I was at the school while I was a football coach. I would not let myself leave until I spent 12 hours minimum there. I would be like, you know what? There's not really a whole lot to do. I will find things to do. And don't tell my wife this. I would find things to do to try and improve the program while I knew I was done for the day. And then I would go home and spend time with her. And I would be obsessed with how do I install this new scheme? How do I attract this new coach? How do I recruit this new player? And it just became my whole life. When, when I left high school football, I knew I wanted to play college. When I left college football, I swore I didn't want another thing to do with football ever in my life. I was so miserable when I left that that I was like, I'm done. I, I don't want anything to do with it. And here I am coming back, turning it into my obsession, having some success and going from there. And then finally, the last example I have is the master's program that I just finished a little while ago. So again, education wasn't always something that I enjoyed. Towards the end of my bachelor's degree is when I was like, you know what? I really enjoyed like these classes. I'm starting to understand my learning. I'm starting to understand how my brain works. And I, and I was getting good at learning in my head. Um, I struggled at the beginning of college because I didn't have good study skills. High school was a breeze and, and I kind of just got through on, on merit. The end of my bachelor's and then I was like, let me get into my career. Let me figure out if this is what I truly want to do. So then I start my master's program and, and I kind of loved it. And I, and I loved the education part. I loved how much learning I was able to absorb and implement at that time. And, and that educational process became another obsession of mine. It became something that you can't coach, you can't teach, you can't do all these things at the same time. Like, all right, I'll figure it out. So it became, it became my obsession to stack things on my plate and prove people wrong. So I ended up finishing my master's degree while I was also head football coach. During that time, I was also head lacrosse coach, boys lacrosse coach for a year or two. I was a wrestling coach for a year. I've done so many things all stacked in there that it, it that hard work became my obsession, continues to be my obsession, and just continue growing from there. So my biggest piece of advice, find your flaws and tweak that mentality and turn those flaws into your obsession. Find those flaws, turn it into your obsession, your obsession, enjoy the fulfillment it gives you, and you will see progress immediately. And my example of running, like I hate running. I wouldn't say it's a flaw because there's really no need in my life, but I could pick up, I've read two or three of the Goggins books. I could pick up those books, read that, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start running. And I haven't yet, but I haven't had the desire to turn it into my obsession. I don't think it's a huge flaw. Last summer, I went on a six-mile run, and I survived. So I'm like, you know what? Not my worst flaw. As I continue to, to lose weight and get in better shape, I'm, I'm like, you know what? I could be back there if I wanted to. But if, let's say, that was my biggest flaw that I wanted to fix, all right, couch to 5K program. Or I'm going to get out and walk 10 minutes today. Next month, I'll turn it into five-minute walk, five-minute run. Then the next one after that, it'll be a 10-minute jog. The next one after that, I'm going to do some sprint work and some five-minute jog. Like There's ways that you can turn into your obsession just by scheduling it in, doing the research, reading up on it. Again, you will enjoy that process. That process will be fulfilling, and then you're going to see huge progress. So one more time, take your flaws, turn it into an obsession, and you will see positive results. Let me help you. So I've been putting out there a little bit for some people, and, and I have about four or five people I'm working with today and four or five more that I'm going to start working with soon. Let me help you. So I've been writing programs, powerlifting, weightlifting, bodybuilding, fitness lifting. I've been writing programs on and off, mostly on, since 2008. I've got about 16 years of writing programs, and I've been writing football programs for entire teams. I've been writing individual programs for people who are just trying to lose a little bit. I've been running writing programs for people who are trying to be the best in the world. 
at their class, at their sport, at their thing. So I've been writing programs for that for about 16 years. I've been writing nutrition programs for about 12 years. I took some courses, some nutrition courses in college and since then and, and worked at GNC. So since then, I've been writing nutrition and supplementation guides since then for some people. And I'm, I'm kind of putting it all together in one package. The follow-up to both of those is I'm also willing and able to do check-ins and make sure that the results are getting back in, making sure things are consistent and following up for what people need. If you're interested, please reach out to me at Coach P underscore knows. I'd be glad to touch base with you and see what your goals are to try and figure out how I can help you. I, I have people that help me. I'll be honest. I have coaches in my world and, and I couldn't do it without them. So if you're looking for that extra bit of help, whether it's just, hey, I want I want some guide. I, I want some guidance. I want some guidelines. I want some rules. I want some hard and, and, and strong rules on, on what I should do, how I should train, what I should eat. Then I can give you those too. If you want some self-education stuff, I can kind of give you the tools you need to educate yourself, but I'm all about it. I, I just love giving back. I love sharing my knowledge and I love helping people. So if you're interested, hit me up, send me a message at coach B underscore knows. I'll add you to the list and we'll get you, get you working. Let's go. My mental approach to problem solving. <clears throat> So I had an assistant coach, and he had this mentality, and, and I'm not going to put him out there yet. He might be one of my guests on that I have here soon. But he had this mentality, and he was a business guy, that he would walk into a conference room, and he would instill confidence in himself because he would look around the room and be like, I could beat everyone in this room's butt. And, and that might not be the case for everybody, but if you can walk into a room and have this this self-importance or this, this self-confidence of, I have outworked everybody in here in one way or another, why can't I continue to do that in this meeting? And especially in my role now where I'm relatively new, I'm low man on the totem pole, I do have a body of work, but literally a body of work, and, and a body of work in coaching that. Maybe I don't have the experience or the know-how and exactly what we're doing as a team or, or what our, our goals are here, but I can promise you that my work speaks for itself. And the time and effort I put it into my work speaks for itself. And I can promise you that the energy and efforts and the things that I'm going to do moving forward are, are going to be where we, we hit success. And, and the biggest growth that I've seen in my, my work life and in my personal life is in problem solving is the ability to go find the answers. So I, I have a pretty strong network when it comes to fitness and, and lifting and nutrition and football. And even in my professional world, having a strong network is important. Having strong relationships, like I've said in previous podcasts is important, but having the ability to go find that information whether you are a strong researcher and you can use the internet, or I just like to go to people who know what they're talking about. So if I'm doing, if I'm running a nutrition plan for somebody who's like, I don't know, if someone, my wife, if I'm doing nutrition for someone who has a specific need, I'm going to go to someone who works in that field. If, if someone is a diabetic, I'm going to, find a diabetic who's had success or I'm going to find a doctor who's had success working with diabetics and I'm going to pick their brain directly. So finding someone who's in that specific field on top of doing your research and beyond just Googling it, finding those exact resources that are there. I've always found talking to people directly who work in these industries is, is been the most crucial. And in my football world, if, if I had a question about passing schemes or if I had questions about specific styles of offense, I would find a local college. I would find people who always have dedicated time or always willing to talk to people. And I would, I would ask them, I would, I would point blank, Hey, can I come in and chat with you? And, and granted a lot, some of these like the football world and, and the powerlifting world and some of these worlds are a lot more susceptible and open to that sort of thing. But there's always people who are experts in their field that are willing to talk one way or another. And don't be afraid to use social media or just you pick up the phone and call someone and ask, ask them directly, hey, would you be willing to talk on this topic? That, that 
ability to self-educate through networking or through research is is amazing and and problem solving it's just that it's it's no one ever reinvents the wheel so why why do you need to if you see somebody else who's had similar success in a similar problem talk to them and, and don't have any fear about what they may think or if people think less of you i would rather hire some an assistant coach who doesn't have the answer but would work their butts off to go find it than hire a coach who pretends like he knows all the answers and i feel like those people who just pretend or or lie or they manipulate their way to pretending like they have the correct answer all the time or they just deflect and push it off on somebody else those people aren't always successful and those people are, are deflating and, and hard to work with so if you can work with someone who's honest and open and can provide those those connections to be realistic and be i mean the example i can think of as a teacher kind of all over the place with this the example i can think of as a teacher is if you're the the student that has a million questions right and you ask a teacher is that teacher the one to respond and be like you know, I don't know, but I will get back to you tomorrow with that answer. Or you have the type of teacher that's like, ah, uh, sure, and, and they come up with some nonsense answer. So as a woodshop teacher, I was that one that would be like, ooh, but you got me. I don't, I don't know. I'll have to go look up this technique and, and get back to you on it. And I would go find someone to answer that question. I'd read it in a book. I'd look it up online. But if a kid was trying to make a specific cut, I wouldn't just be like, yeah, you can't do that here. We don't have that. Like, okay, let's get creative. Why don't you look up some ways? I'll look up some ways. We'll come back together. We'll figure this thing out. And we always figured it out. And and maybe I'd be like, let's grab some scrap pieces because this looks tricky. And we'll practice it a couple times. And when we're ready, we'll do it a live run of it. But again, that value of both of us educating, it created such a trust with that kid that that kid was like, it wasn't like, mm, he shut me down. I don't want to ask him any more questions. That trust was built into where now we're self-educating and that kid also has tools and he saw me firsthand apply these things. So now he has tools to grow and educate himself moving forward. So I always thought that form of problem solving was important to, to be able to put your pride aside and allow for that self-education, but allow for honesty and networking is huge. So the next part I want to discuss is this the millennial generation and the instant gratification that they require. So instant gratification falls under the millennials generation and it's the written out definition of a desire for continuous feedback and improvement. And this generation was born between 1981 and 1996. So technically I'm in this generation. So the instant gratification generation is somebody who wants automatic, continuous feedback and improvement. So these are the people my age and younger, and even the um, Generation Z, I guess, is after us. So 1980s to present day, I see a lot of instant gratification things where if it's not given to me right away, I'm moving on. And, and you see it a lot in social media. But really, I, I've seen it a lot in the, in the kids that we teach and the kids that have come up in my football program. So one frustrating thing that I've seen over my time as football coach and strength coach, kids will come in the weight room, they'll put in a day or two, and they'll be like, I'm not coming back anymore. This isn't working. This, this doesn't happen overnight. This doesn't happen fast at all. This is one of the most slow and grueling processes is to, to create and grow new muscle or change your body composition. It doesn't happen that fast. I mean, my body, and again, I'm not happy with my body and, and how far I've come, but I've been training since I was 13, and, and I'm still looking to improve every single day. And, and kids who show up and just want, there's an interesting phenomenon that I've noticed with, with the kids that I've taught and, and really noticed it like six, seven years ago. We were in woodshop class. And we had refinished all the tables in the woodshop, the hard wooden butcher block tables. And to test their like spring ability, their bounce ability, or how well they were surfaced, we played ping pong. 
and see how well the ball bounced. But this table versus that table, this table is finished with this material. This table is finished with this material. So let's let's see how we play. And what I saw when we got to playing and kids got competitive, and it always ended in a tournament of some sort. When kids got competitive, it became either you are the man and you are good at something. You are just automatically great. You're the man. You're the best. You're the king. Good job. He's, he's awesome. That was one category. The other category was if you weren't that good or if you were good and you tried and you practiced and you worked hard and you continued to try and develop, now you're considered a try hard which is not cool. If you're somebody who tries too hard to be good at something, it is not a cool category to be in. So that's category two. Category three is none of the above. You, you're bad. You suck. So those three things is what I saw. You suck, you're awesome, or you try too hard. Isn't the goal in life to try harder and become better at things? It, it was such an, a baffling experience to watch this little game of ping pong turn into this life-altering viewpoint that I could develop here. And I saw it everywhere. I saw it in the weight room with kids trying new techniques. Either, again, you're great at it and you're, you're the man. And you don't even have to try. You can walk in, crush it, walk out, you're the king. Or two, he's a tryhard. He's over here sweating, grunting, working his butt off. He's a tryhard. We don't like to hang with tryhards. And then the last one is, man, that kid sucks. Get him away from me. I'm going to clown him for it. You also see it in things like basketball and PE class and different, like, it's just such a separation where when, when I came up and I guess I am part of this generation that I'm talking about, but when I came up, it was the hardest working kids were the cool kids. Those were the kids you wanted to hang with. Those are the kids that the grunting, the sweating, that's, that's what the, that's what it was all about. And to see that be belittled by, it was amazing. It was so. And, and there has been a change in that. And our success in the football program from the kids that I worked with, there has been a change in that. And, and hard work has become cool again. And, and I don't know exactly what the, the correlation is there, but having success takes hard work. And seeing that hard work into fruition has been outstanding. And I think that there, the hard work turning into success is what made kids like, all right, it's kind of cool to try hard. But a new and, and what our new head coach is doing now, which I really like, and I wish I, I kick myself for not doing. In the weight room, he's made it like his number one emphasis to, to stop allowing kids or stop allowing coaches or, or people to put other people down. And I always made a huge deal out of it as a, as a strength coach and as a head coach. I always made self-improvement or improvement in those categories and the different lifts, like your number one criteria for, for all season points. So some kids are going to come in and be like a 95-pound bencher because they've never lifted before. They're small and tiny, but then they work hard. And that 95-pound bencher is now like a 155-pound bencher because they've worked, they've eaten, they've done everything right. They've improved by 60 pounds, whereas your strongest kid is a 215-pound lifter, and he is now a 225-pound lifter. That kid's already towards his peak. And he's only been able to prove a little bit, which is a lot. It's hard to improve. I mean, there's power lifters that are improving 10 pounds in a year. And they're thanking the Lord that they've gained that much. But then that kid that, that was the weakest kid in the world to begin with, and now he's put on a little bit, but he's still not very strong. That improvement is incredible. And one thing that our head coach is doing now, and, and again, I, 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 it's awesome, is we're not putting those kids down. So years ago, we would see kids like, bench one, 105. We had kids that couldn't even bench the bar. We'd have to get a special bar out for them. And they would get laughed out of the weight room. And I'd yell at them. And, and I just couldn't correct it because I couldn't be in every kid's ear at once. They would get laughed at. They'd get made fun of. That kid would stop trying because now it's it's not cool to try hard. I suck. I'm done. And then the kids that were just naturally strong were the cool kids. They were the best. Man, good for you. You're awesome. I can't wait. Blah, blah, blah. And then the kids in the middle, that was the group that we kind of worked on. But it also, working in that the, the try-hard group and making them cool again allowed for those smaller kids. And, and what Coach is doing now, not letting people put each other down, it's been amazing. Um, th those kids that came in maxing out 115, 
and and for all for that moment when he's maxing out and he's giving it all he's got and you just see the work ethic and and the push the drive of that kid trying it's the coolest thing to celebrate and you got the strongest kid in the room who can bench double that is now dapping him up patting him on the back good job can't wait to see you improve that's the difference between powerlifting and bodybuilding i've talked about it before Bodybuilding is very subjective. You can't really see the change. You can't really measure the change in one competitor for the next. But in powerlifting, you can. So in powerlifting, you have different weight classes. You have different age brackets. You have different classes of pro, elite, uh, amateur. And then you have, obviously, different weights. So they celebrate. In powerlifting, everybody's celebrated. When I was the 5'10 bencher, no one who I was at first. But after I came out, I was like the king of that back room. Every bencher was like, oh, there was another guy that was like a thousand pound bencher, but that's a different story. But everybody who was back there saw me and was like, man, how do you do it? Like they would give me pointers. I cramped up real bad. Some other dude gave me his um, massage gun and it was like the, the camaraderie there. And, and I've still been in contact with some of the people I competed against at one of my first meets. And we're talking about doing another meet together. We're talking about hanging out. He lives a couple states away. Like it's really cool to see that just that positive push where the try hard group is the focused group. And that's the cool group. Now that's where this, that's where the society needs to get back to try hards, people who bust their butts to get everything they want. That is the group that should be put above the group. That's just automatically good. That's the group that should be put above the group that just sucks. And they cast out. So they quit the try hard group out of that generation. That needs to be corrected, but the try-hard group should be, be be put above all. This instant gratification generation needs to be corrected. They need to be checked. These are the kids that are swiping through social media, and they want that instant feedback. They need that instant feedback loop. If I don't have an answer for why I need to do this, is this going to be on the test? No, no, so I'm not doing it. Is this going to be graded? No, so I'm not doing it. Is this going to be improving my bench today no so i'm not going to do it is this going to allow me to lose five pounds this week no so i'm not going to do it these things need to be corrected because these things don't happen overnight so if we can fix that if we can address that make tryhards cool again maybe that's my political slogan making tryhard cool again if we can make tryhards the goal again if we can make that work ethic the the high goal again if you can make that a priority, no one's going to stop you. You're going to achieve all your goals. You're going to get everything you want. That's just the way it is. Hey there, podcast fans. Do you want to check out Real Love? Do you want to hear real conversations from a real relationship? Take a listen to The Real Kevlar, a story about our bulletproof love story. This is a story about me and my wife. We met when we were 14 on the bus to eighth grade. We had a couple of classes together then, which has blossomed into a beautiful, loving family that we have now. We share tips and hints, and we just share each other's life story. I can tell you in the half year that we've been doing this, it has really blossomed our relationship. If you want to compare notes, if you want to empathize, if you just want to have some laughs and some tears with us, or well, with her, I guess, then take a listen. The Real Kevlar on all podcasts and Spotify means the real Kevlar, our bulletproof love story. Check us out. And finally, having the mental composure during adversity. So this is something that I flourished in throughout my coaching career. There wasn't a whole lot that could break me. There wasn't a whole lot of anxious feelings I would have there wasn't a whole lot of, I, when you go through the worst scenarios in, in a football game, the best scenarios don't really break you. And if you can really just kind of keep breathing through it all, then that adversity hits and, and bounces off. So I've always been able to compartmentalize and, and handle the stressors. Uh, you can see my anxiety in some of the steps on, on Friday nights when I was coaching. I mean, I would hit like 35,000 steps. You can see some of that anxiety come out, but when, when stuff got crazy, you just got to look at the situation, look at the people around you. And if you surround yourself with good people and you've prepared as much as you possibly can, and you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, 
I have done everything I can to prepare for this event. There's no even reason to to fault at those adverse moments. You got to rely on the people around you. You got to trust those people around you. Again, having strong relationships and a strong network is a is a huge help here. But really, there's there's no reason to get to get amped up in, in an adverse situation. Stuff happens that is way out of your control. It's way out of the people around you's control. There's no reason to get all amped up when it's something that either A, is going to go away, or B, something that you could have never seen coming. I know it's much, much, much easier to say, and, and even to this day, having some adverse situations come up, it, it's hard to, to calm yourself in a situation sometimes, but at, at these things are they're going to come and go, and you just kind of have to deal as best as you can at the time, and and learn from it. Take all of these things as learning lessons and put these in the memory bank. So when, if and when this does happen again, these, these adverse situations, that next time it's going to be a walk in the park. I was pretty amazed at my ability to, to handle these situations as a coach. And maybe my trial by fire consistency that I've kind of had throughout my career has has prepared me for this but when I was I mean I was 24 years old kind of got fumbled into the head coaching job and I mean I'm coaching for the my 10th game I was the head football coach against I couldn't even remember what my first opponent what our first opponent was that year Watkins Mill my 10th game against a pretty good team out of Montgomery County and we traveled, we hosted them. And there was an adverse game too. I mean, no games are easy, but that game was a Friday night game. We had some thunderstorms. There was a delay. And that second part of that game was Saturday. So we came in and played, I want to say just over a half, but not quite enough for the, the state system to count it as a full game. In that second half of that game, we lost a couple of our key players just because they couldn't make it back. And, and you want to talk adversity. I mean, getting the job three days into the season is one. But having coaches and players really just test the integrity of your program and your team. Whew. Again, you don't prepare for these sort of things. And, and as strong as a staff and as strong as of a preparing practice that we could have had and, and as much work as we could have poured into being as successful as possible doesn't prepare you for everything. So uh, these things happen, they come up, and you just have to take a breath. Realize that this is a learning lesson. Realize that there's a reason why this is in front of you. And do your best to learn from it and, and handle everyone with respect. And, and I've, I've had my faults where things blow up and things happen and you kind of respond in, in, a, in a negative light and you yell back when someone yells at you. And it's not the best way to handle it. But again, learning lessons in and that exact scenario happened a, a little while later. And guess what? I was able to handle it much better because I, I kind of put this in the memory bank and I stored it as, well, that sucked. I hope that doesn't happen again. And if it did, here's how I would handle it. And you kind of make these mental notes of like, Whew, I just got my I just got my butt kicked and maybe not in score, maybe by a scenario that took place. And here's how I'm going to handle it better next time. And when that next time comes up, all right, I was able to get through this first layer, but something else came up and then you just kind of keep building. And in the job that I'm in now, there's a whole lot of things that I have never experienced before. And even some of the people I work next to, I mean, some of the best, most tenured people in my position that I work next to, I've seen them in situations that they've never dealt with before. And honestly, the more times you can put yourself in an uncomfortable place, the more comfortable you can be being uncomfortable. And and I say that physically in, in some of the discomforting things I put my body through and, and some of the disciplinary things I do with my diet and, and challenges I put myself through, the more adverse things I kind of put myself through in that aspect makes the challenging things in my career and in my personal life even easier to deal with because, all right, we've been through this before. Let's go. We, we know what, we know how to respond. We know how to react and, and we might not have the answer for this situation, but we know how to get it. We know where to go and, and 
we won't let this happen again. So that's the end of the mentality portion of what we're, we're talking about preparing to slay the dragon. So I hope you can take a part or two from this and, and use it, learn it, share it, have it ready for your adverse situation or have it ready for your future. I truly appreciate all the listeners that I do have. I know it's not much, but if you listen to the whole thing, please reach out and let me know. I do appreciate it. You can find out more at Coach P underscore knows where I share daily content, if not cut-ups of this episode than other things that I've been sharing. I look forward for future episodes. We will start having guests here soon. We're going to start having research-based documentary type of responses. We're going to have a lot of fun things coming up. So stay along for the ride. Stay along for the journey. We're going to find ways to motivate me. We're going to find ways to motivate you. And if you want help doing any of these things, Hit me up at Coach B underscore Nose. Talk to you again soon. I'm out.